My guest for this episode offers a unique glimpse into the world of top-level corporate leadership, and where better to learn from than one of the big four. Mary Pickles holds the distinguished position of Chief of Staff to the Chairman at Ernst & Young, one of the world's most well-known professional services companies. As Chief of Staff, Mary has a front-row seat to the intricacies of decision-making, innovation and collaboration that defines a multinational powerhouse like EY. From navigating complex business landscapes to fostering a culture of excellence, she's the driving force behind the scenes, ensuring that the chairman's vision becomes a tangible reality. In this episode, we talk about staying grounded in leadership, building impactful relationships across big businesses, and what corporations should be doing to make society a better place. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to have someone from such an established private sector uh, company like yours. A lot of people will recognize EY as one of the big four accounting and professional services uh, multinationals. Obviously, as part of that, it's still a, a private company. With a company of that size, how does the chief of staff role operate to support the leadership team within the organization? So it's, a, it's an interesting one, and um, I don't, we we talk we spoke a little bit before we even started about how such a big company still being um, a partnership does on paper sound a bit funny, um, but I suppose it's it's the the organ, all the professional services firms, the big four in this 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 country are, are like that, but it does provide an interesting working um, environment because you're basically working with a whole load of entrepreneurs who own the business. Um, so we probably have a slightly different governance structure than um, you might have in a corporate, um, I should think. Um, so we have the leadership team very much, and I work directly for the chairman and, and the UK uh, country leadership team. But you do have lots and lots of partners who all have a stake in that business and all have very strong views and very strong opinions about, about what they want done. Um, so in a way, you kind of manage that as you, as you go. Um, and it does mean you end up having some very interesting conversations with people who are trying to get trying to get um, time with um, the chair, um, Howell, um, who, who maybe don't go through always the um, set routes to get there. Um, so it provides an interesting, if not somewhat challenging environment sometimes. Sounds it. Uh, turning to your background now, what led you to take on the chief of staff role within EY? So... I imagine a lot of chief of staff have this in their background, which is it might not have originally been maybe what maybe where they were heading, or it was a, a bit of a role that that got developed. Um, and I think hopefully, actually now it is becoming a more established role, where, which actually um, isn't isn't quite like that. But I think my history might be similar to others, where. Um, I started at, at EY as a client serving person. My background is actually in financial regulation. I came from the regulator. I was in the enforcement division there as an investigator, joined EY in the forensics division and spent quite a few years do, doing client facing work um, and then decided I wanted to try something a little bit different. There was an opportunity to support leadership in and a very quite a small role really just helping them a bit but I thought it'd be a good opportunity to learn more about the business I quite like looking into how things run how they operate so thought I'd take that opportunity 
see see where it took me and where it took me is um ending up stopping actually doing client work and developing that role full time um and really i think it didn't it didn't start as a chief of staff role but i i sort of made it into one i think and it was probably one of the first um people within the firm to develop that role um which was what was in actually a service line at the time um because then my my boss how then got promoted to being chair and regional managing partner and I, I moved with him at that point and that that leads perfectly into really what i wanted to ask you about with that chief of staff role because you mentioned before this podcast and we, we were chatting away we were talking about how actually it was traditionally a rotational role really there wasn't a permanent position for chief of staff within the company now you're in the role and you are the first chief of staff to the chair in a in a permanent role what motivated that decision from the leadership team to say, actually, we need someone who's not just going to sort of come in and come out to progress their career, but someone who's going to come in and help progress this role and drive this forward? Yeah, d- true. So I think when I um, I did move with with the with the chairman when he when he became chair, um, and seven years before that, there'd been somebody else in role, and it really was seen. It was called the chief of staff role, but it really was a role that people went into um, to progress their careers as opposed to I think as you just said being a role you could progress in its own right um, and that I think has its can have some merits and particularly for, for those individuals and brings different insights into the role but I think particularly in a time of change and actually we took on this role right before and then about a week before and then COVID hit um, so we'd already decided that this was what was going to happen but I think in particular um, in a time of change and things like that I think just having someone who knows what they're doing, knows the firm, knows the position, actually can take the learnings from every single one of those circumstances because there's always something going on. Um, and then, you know, leverage that in, into the next and actually be just a constant point um, of reference for everybody else around. Um, I mean, that's some of the feedback I've had more generally from the what the wider team um, as, as to the merits of that. And I think from a leadership perspective, just them or having someone who is able to to manage that and just knows how things work has been um, pretty invaluable in hindsight in the um, challenging few years that we've just had. Obviously, they now recognise the benefit, but it was you who was integral to getting them to promote that role and say, no, no, this should be a, a full-time director position as a chief of staff. How did you manage to get them to to understand that before they could see the benefits of the, of the role? So I think um, I'd like to say most people could see the benefits um, that, 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 that I was bringing. But as I was having to sort of write that down on a piece of paper and articulate a business case, I very much focused um, on, and I might have uh, leveraged some of your material, actually, that, uh, that you can get from your website, um, but very much focused on um, actually the importance of being uh, having a role which can just see across the company, connect all the dots, make sure the right conversations are happening. Everybody else operates, I'll say a silo, and I I don't mean that in a bad way, but everybody else is operating within the department that they operate in. They're they're looking at talent, they're looking at risk, they're looking at uh, communications, um, or they're looking at their service lines and and, and serving our our clients in a professional services firm. Um, And that is all consuming. Um, And so having a role which you can lift above that and kind of just try and take a look across all of it um, and make sure the right dots are being connected, the right conversations are happening. Um, you know, that that's a role, I think, where you need a degree of experience and a degree of um, uh, 
you know a bit of clout behind you maybe with with not it's not just about titles but being able to elevate it a bit um in order to, to give you the ability to do that and I think that's sort of what I majored on really that that ability to oversee and and connect and seem to work <laughs> And that's great. It's great for us as the Chief of Staff Association to see people saying, actually, I've pushed this and they, they recognise now the value I bring. You just touched on there something that I do want to talk about, which is on facilitating that information flow. So especially because you're it's a board structure plus partners, there's decisions being made at all sorts of levels. You are involved invariably in various parts of those decisions. How do you as a Chief of Staff balance the role of guiding your principal's decision making with the voices that might be coming elsewhere from the organisation? Oh, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, with uh, with a lot of constant conversations, um, I guess a lot a lot of communication. Um, so I think you know you've got you've got the the boardroom and you've got you've got the executive meetings, the form the formal places where conversations happen. Um, but I think. You say my role in a lot of it is is trying to bring all of that together so that all of those voices and all of those thoughts and everything else um, are able to be channeled um, and then kind of listened to within that boardroom um, without it being too confusing or too complicated. I mean, we've got different ways we do that at EY. We've got, um, a, you know, actually a partner forum, which um, I'm, I'm quite involved with. So, so talking to them, listening to them, getting opinions from them, because actually that is also a way that we help to channel people's thoughts through things. We have um, staff or um, staff groups, we call voice, we call it EY Voice. I talk to them a lot as well, try and channel through um, what what the different, you know, what are, you know, nearly 19,000 people now um, viewpoints might be um, to try try and try and get them and then and then elevate all of that up into um it, into something coherent and, and viewpoints that we can we can take to the board and take to the executive meetings. Um, so yeah, a lot of conversations. I think is where I started. Yeah, it sounds that. like a lot of conversations, <laughs> and it it ties into another theme that comes up a lot for us, which is the sort of speaking truth to power element of the role. Is you're there, you've got an opportunity to raise the flags for certain issues that your principal might be missing. With that comes an element of juggling. It's obviously you're representing the voice of your thousands of employees the voice of your partners and then you've also got your own voice in there which is obviously disproportionately powerful in the way that any voice who's sort of a senior advisor can be how do you internally juggle the the personal side of going actually i want to make sure we're informing the right decision here but also looking at the the wider pool of voices that might be speaking up across the organization um so i suppose there's an element of my voice is kind of trying to be some of those different voices across the organization obviously i have my own opinion on things but trying to inform that actually by as much as i much as i possibly can um and it's that sort of i think we call it the hidden truth or the hidden communicator which is um actually trying to have some of those influencing type of discussions um outside the formal mechanisms maybe just to 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 try and just make sure that um people do have um the viewpoints from the from the wider community but myself I've also also try and just remember sometimes um where I'm sitting and actually who who you're who you're working with because it's actually you're working with a group of very senior individuals partners you know they have a certain um 
way of doing things, might have a certain lifestyle, and actually sometimes just trying to ground them and stay grounded yourself in what is the everyday kind of experience? What do you need to try and just remember, um, you know, just just on the day-to-day experience of someone at work or someone doing their, going about what they're doing day-to-day as opposed to actually... Um, the role of leadership which which I think some you know just sometimes they can they can lose that perspective and I think part of my role is to try and help that with that sometimes as well and stay grounded in in the reality of the everyday working life and I think that's what the position is partly there for right as well like it embodies the idea of having someone who is a confidant who someone like a chair can say does this sound like a sensible idea? And you can represent a fairly grounded reality of going, well, actually, this is how that message is going to go down across the majority of the organisation. Even if you think and you know it's the right message, still saying, actually, this is this is the reality. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really helps with that, actually, just thinking about it, is coming from the business, keeping actually my own connections within the business. So I will try and I have, um, actually myself, I have a secondment role so one of the things I did do when I took away the secondment role that I that my position might have brought people to have the opportunity to do is I put in a secondment role for a more junior person to come and work for me and I that's really useful because I can now have a bit of a network of people that I can go out to you know my old my old colleagues within the firm but also different different people within it to kind of go oh how do you think this would land or how has that landed or um yeah have any of you read that in the press yet how how bad is it sounding or how good is it sounding so um that's actually a really really useful network as well which i forgot to mention earlier no that sounds really interesting in terms of maintaining those ties up and down the levels because one of the best uh analogies or at least descriptions i heard for the chief of staff role especially within a private context was most of an org chart is drawn with really solid lines and actually a chief of staff role is the one that sort of has a dotted line to lots of different places. There's one straight line and the rest of it sort of spans a remit. In terms of building that team then, how, do, how does the team function for you? Do you have multiple employees working for you and with you? Or do you have sort of a peer or is it very much you as chief of staff and then it, it spans across the org? So I'm working on it. Um, at the moment, it's a very small team of myself and, and, and one person who's who's on, on secondment. Um but I'm, I'm working a little bit on building what what um, I'd envisioned one day as a lovely chairman's a chair of the office uh, office of the chairman rather, um, uh, and and we're getting we're getting there with um, a few other ideas. But I always think it is slightly sometimes a funny role as a chief of staff, um, and actually I don't have that many staff, albeit there's also all the staff <laughs> of the entire firm. I'm not in any way going to say that I have any remit over over all of them, but it just means I work with a huge amount of people, I think. Um, so on a daily basis, you know, there's communications team is a, is a very large team that I work with on, all the time because there's so many different internal, external communications going on. But, you know, there's risk teams and um, operations teams and, and I basically have a, a call into most of them most of the time. So I suppose that that's my that's my wider team. And and in terms of maintaining those networks, I know you touched on it, and for want of a better term, silos is how it's used. It's people very much within those channels. Do you have a particular approach for how you make sure you're staying on top of each of those silos throughout the organisation? Or is it very much just, is it rhythmic and you have a heartbeat of, no, I speak to these people at the same time all the time to keep it up to date, or I deal ad hoc because I understand how these people operate? I think different 
different for different people in different areas. Um, so the ones that I am talking with all the time, there is almost a daily daily basis. So so that's fine. That that that, that deals with itself. I think there's um, somewhere I really do just make the effort to make sure I've got the monthly catch up in. Um, you know the madness of diaries these days. Just saying you're going to catch up with someone never really works. So I do try and do the sort of you know just put it in. We can move it if you want monthly coffee, um, and 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 you know we'll we'll move things around as we want. I find that is the generally speaking um, the best way, and it's just quite nice to just do that. I, whether it's face to face or invariably Zoom these days, it's um, just quite nice to have those one to ones, those catch ups. You you always find out something. That you didn't know was happening so um i found sometimes i put them off or you, you think about putting them off because you're so busy doing other things and i always try not to because they're the things that actually you end up finding out yeah something you didn't know or something's going on or yeah so they're invaluable really and so people who might be listening who are thinking about taking on a chief of staff role a lot of the people who we get who are really interested in the roles are often interested in slightly smaller stage companies or they're going into a non-profit or a government setup and they're trying to think about how they switch their skill set to adapt to a a new very generalist quite multifaceted role when it's thousands of staff it's a different step up do you have any advice in particular that you think you would want to share with people who are transitioning into a chief of staff role at a very large multinational organisation? So I guess it, I suppose it, it is different, and um, but in a way, maybe it's not. I mean, it's all about being able to talk to people, um, maintain those relationships, tr- trying to just think about what might be going on. And I think maybe the biggest thing could be the fact that when something, an organisation is so big, you can really can sometimes have one thing going on in another area and a very similar thing going on in another area and nobody quite quite realises it. Um, so actually just trying to develop those um, those conversations and those relationships across as many areas as you can Um get everybody to introduce you to somebody else and you don't want to spend your entire day having one-to-one coffees but um actually just spending that little bit of time and remembering that that that's valuable time as well even though it feels like you know you just you're just having a coffee it never is because um um built building those relationships is important i think is probably my my key piece of advice off the top of my head I think that's a good bit of advice for anyone. I think investing in relationships, especially early on, because it does take time to build them up, right? It's like a professional professional network of any sort. It, it takes investment early and it takes consistency to show that you can be trusted in that way, then that people can come to you when there's an issue that they want to raise. It was just what I was about to say, actually, the word, the word trust, which is I think I think, and I hope that's now what I have with, with a lot of different people and it might not even be my my remit and well most of the time it's never my area of expertise um but it's usually they can pick up the phone and kind of say mary what do you what do you think i should do about this and hopefully i can put them in contact with someone or know who to speak to or just say actually calm down it's fine um we'll, we'll sort it out um and that happens almost on a daily basis now i think so I try not to describe the chief of staff role as constantly firefighting because I think it makes it sound like a really negative connotation around a role because you're operating in the background, you're working with a lot of people when there are issues that are sort of slowly building and festering and actually trying to spot them early on. And I think it does the role a disservice because there's a lot of strategic focus as well to the role. You are actively planning to execute certain initiatives, you're given special projects, there are discussions that you'll be aware from the chair, from board, from other stakeholders that you'll have to drive forward. How do you manage that sort of the forward-looking, I've got to spot these problems before they appear, and also the slightly more deliberate strategies that you want to 
push forward through your time in the role? It's actually really difficult, I think. And and it's one of the things I probably struggle with the most is the things I really want to do to take forward from a strategic perspective where you just need a couple of hours to put aside, stop people, teams messaging you and and, and think about it Um, versus actually the the day-to-day. It's not always firefighting, but just the day-to-day that that, that comes up and and you need to deal with. and yeah, as I said, I think it's probably probably the hardest part of the job. And I'm not entirely sure if I've, I've found the right the right way to deal with it. To be honest with you, other than actually just sometimes passing the projects that I'd like to do to other people who have the time and asking them to come back and feed, feed feedback to me, which is one way to tackle it. Not not always what what how I'd maybe want to do if I if I wanted to be focusing it on more myself. Um, but I think the the other thing which was just coming over my mind is sometimes I think those bigger more strategic things or um you you sometimes end up doing them without even realizing you've done it and they'll often come sometimes from having to have sort to to have picked something up or um you know something coming from what was a was a bit of a a last minute thing you you recognizing actually that, that that there's something there there's a gap it needs to be filled there's some work that needs to be done and sometimes I've you've thought about it, you've done it, you've moved it forward, often moved it then into a BAU situation. And I've realised that actually you've just done something quite, that maybe is more strategic or bigger and you haven't quite realised you've done it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a lot of what I end up doing is, um, like I said, we're a big professional services firm. There's, there's lots of different people working who all have who all have expertise and skills far, far beyond mine that, that, that do do their work on their daily basis, but there are gaps. Um and that tends to be where you go and fill them. Um, but sometimes those end up actually being quite strategic conversations and you, half the time you haven't realised. <laughs> I think that's great advice. And I also want to say thank you for being honest about things that you don't do so well. Because I think I, I try and bring some really interesting senior people on this podcast to talk about the role. And one of the things I'm always trying to push them for is like, what aren't you actually good at? Because it's really good for people to hear that you can be in a role at a really high performing sort of high influence position within a massive name brand organization and still go yeah i could do that better i could get better at that and i think it's probably good to set that culture from the top in any organization absolutely and i think there's and there's um i suppose one of the benefits of 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 working for someone like ey is you can generally find someone who can do it um definitely probably better better than you but um but but who will come and give you that advice as well um and so yeah it's actually it's a nice position to be in because most people will will pick up the phone if i call because they know it's it's for me or it's on behalf of the chairman and they'll give you a hand um so that's always pretty nice that's great and moving then on to your skills in the role i know you've developed lots aside from the sort of strategic project work and the and the stakeholder management that we've just discussed but you're also responsible for overseeing corporate responsibility as well and that's led you to even take on a trustee position at a charity how has your skill set as a chief of staff helped you take on those additional responsibilities for the non-profit um well, let's see. I think the corporate responsibility was one of those examples of actually where there was a little bit of a gap and I thought that 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 needs filling most certainly um and we we did great things in corporate responsibility always but we have a we're a global firm as well so um you know we, we leveraged a lot, a lot a lot of that but we didn't have a, a great um strategy for a uk 
um, taking it forward in, in the UK. So um, that was something I sort of identified and, and found a, found so, someone to lead that for me. So I'd say that is the area where I actually have a have some people that report into me that that do do, do corporate responsibility, which is um, which is great. But it gave me a bit more of an insight into. Um, into our own EY foundation who do a lot of work but also actually just the world of the um the third sector which um I found really interesting very political much more political than I never realized uh, it, it ever would be um but I did um you know in, in my spare time um do a, did a little bit of volunteering at a local charity and decided that actually with with bit more insight that I've managed managed to gain that when the trustee position came up thought I'd apply for it and see um uh, see see how that went and um, got the position. Um, funniest, in, I haven't been through an interview process in a very long time, so that was uh, that was a nerve wracking experience. Um, quite different from from other uh, interview experiences I've been through. Through I think just and I think that just reminds you. So this is it's a small charity. There's a they've gone from three people to twelve people in this in the space of uh, pretty much over COVID, um, which to them is massive growth, but actually the different things I can bring them from just just the visibility that I have of a of a large firm our, our sorts of policies and processes um that they they just don't you know have the capacity capacity to look at so that's one of the things I can just give them advice on 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 but um also they probably give me more than I give them at the moment I think because just the gra- being able to just leave the sort of big shiny office actually and just go and spend some time with people that do very different work um have some very different experiences and just be a little bit more grounded um actually i think is um is is i find really really refreshing and um sort of yeah keeps me kind of i suppose interested (laughs) um in, in everything that I'm doing. It sounds like it comes back to that grounding point. Yet it does, again. I think It's just so, perspective, yeah. right? Perspective, it's, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> it's that kind of feeling in any role. I think that's why I always encourage people to get involved in non-profit or charity yeah. or, or volunteering work in any way, shape or form because it does provide you a bit of a, a grounding which within big institutions, and I'm definitely coming at this from a government perspective, there's such a tendency to become institutionalized and the way that you do things is just the way it is done and you will read the odd report about how to do it slightly differently but you never just immerse yourself in something completely alien to your current organization and I think that's often missing and so it's refreshing to hear it come from someone within a leadership position at a director level within a, a really significant UK firm saying no actually it's really grounding for me to take some time out and work with a different organization. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's the so yeah. Like I say, I think I, I might I, at this current point in time, I might get more from them than they get from me. But but who knows? In time, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that leads quite nicely into the next area that I wanted to talk about, which was on your role in corporate responsibility. So obviously, as chief of staff to a really significant organisation and with thousands of staff, you have a an integral role leading corporate responsibility from the position you have as chief of staff. How do you personally see the role of large firms like the big four having a role to play in making society a better place? It's a very good question. Um, It's actually something we have been thinking about and myself um, personally have been thinking about quite a lot at the moment. I mean, there's some very obvious things that that corporates do. We've just talked about corporate responsibility and you can, um, which is, 
very, very, very important within a firm, but um, sometimes can be more around the engagement of your employees than maybe it can be um, on, on, on the impact of society. And I think there's a role for that. But there is a higher, I think there is more more that, that can can be done over and above the giving of grants and, 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 and maybe things like that, which is actually understanding the, actually the power and the gravitas that big organizations in this in this country have and the leadership the people that the people that lead them um and the fact that they can able to sort of almost knock on the door of number 10 or number 10 will come and knock on the door for them um and want to get their views and opinions and convene people um together got some really clever people these organizations it's why, why they do the jobs that they do um actually getting their minds together thinking about how we might might try and solve some of these issues i think is really is a really important role that actually those leaders and those and those firms can can play um and whether that's sustainability or it's um homelessness or it's all the different things that we're facing in 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 society at the moment um i think that there is a big role there and it's something that we really are trying to look at, at what what our um what what our place in is at, is it at ey and i'm really i'm really happy you know it's one of the things i'm really proud to be involved in those conversations it sounds Thank you. I think a lot of people will be inspired by that message as well. So uh, it's good to hear how, what big organisations are doing to reflect on their role within society and how they want to address some of the issues that they could make a huge change in if they put their mind to it. So moving forward then, what does the future look like for EY among the amongst the changing landscape, really, of professional services? I think if I knew actually knew the answer to that, um, I, I, I would be the CEO. Um, I think it's an interesting... It's an interesting time. I mean, anyone that just generally follows EY or or the um, or some of the other big four um, will have even seen in the news today. Um, there were some news articles in the FT about um, some of the plans that we did potentially have about 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 splitting the firm, um, which didn't didn't quite come to fruition for for a number of reasons. But I think for us and all professional services firms, the strategic issues that led to some of those conversations are still there. Um, so we'll be have to be thinking about that in the future, as I think will everybody else and the regulator. Um, so I think there'll be some really interesting times ahead and may- maybe the firms won't look like um, they do currently in 10 years' time. It's exciting. Yeah. It's Obviously, it's, they're a real stalwart of the UK landscape, really. I don't think I've really been in professional life without thinking about Big Four being around. So the fact that they might change within a decade feels novel, but it also feels like it's times change. Absolutely. Um, thinking more than to the fun question that I like asking everyone on this podcast and I did give you a good warning of this one so I'm hopeful that um, it's not too much of a surprise when I ask but if you could be a chief of staff to anyone else then you weren't working at EY who would you be a chief of staff to and why? So you did give me forewarning to this and I'm still not sure I fully know my answer I've been through a few people um, trying to think of a witty witty answer but do you know what I think actually where I came down to um it would be really great to go and work for some really amazing, some of the more startup um, on, entrepreneurs that, that that I read about, particularly. And I'll say, you know, some some of the some of the women um, into the industry at the moment. And I was thinking about a couple of people. There's a lady called Caroline Herons who's built up and runs. Um, a company called Skin Rocks and um, another lady I know called Alex Head who has set up a um, bespoke catering company and she took it from a tiny cafe to now one of the biggest catering companies in London and I just I know how to do operations I know how to help people run things but 
being yeah a, a mind like that to take to just think you know I don't know how they how they think and how they do what they do so it'd be great to work along some aside someone like that that's an awesome answer and it's I'm always happy to hear people say that I've got a particular kind of leader that I felt like would be interesting to work for because it's such a fit and we haven't really talked about it much on this podcast having that personality click with yes. the leader that you've got to you so actually thinking about if I was to pick a different kind of person to work for what what kind of shape might they take that's great to hear Thank you so much for your time. It's oh, been excellent to have you on the podcast. It's been so fun to talk about everything from corporate responsibility all the way through to how actually do you structure yourself within a massive organization when you've got loads of different stakeholders um, and in particular reflect two messages that have really resonated with me. One, which is the staying grounded and the, the having the opportunity to sort of take time to think about how do you represent everyone how do you maintain a vision and not just get clouded in the leadership team that you might be around which i think we we can all attest happens a lot everywhere but also the the nurturing relationships and investing early so that you can build that trust i think those are two things that stood out for me but i'm hopeful people listening to the podcast will also go no there are a lot of other things that they want to take away so thank you for joining us we look forward to having you on again at some point in the future thank you for having me This podcast was brought to you by the Chief of Staff Association, the global professional body for chiefs of staff in corporations, not-for-profits, government and the military. Applications to join our latest cohort of members are now open. Membership provides you access to our world-leading Chief of Staff core competency program, career-defining mentorship and the opportunity to join our executive education programs at the University of Oxford and Harvard Business School. To learn more, go to www.csa.org. This podcast was hosted by Ewan Godbold with music composed by Ed Cooper.